0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast, now available on almost any platform where podcasts can be found. What you'll most often find here is our Sunday service sermon audio, but we'll also post bits and pieces of special services, events, and other things as they pertain to the life of the church. If you'd like to know more about what's happening here at Redeemer, you can visit us online at www.redeemermn.org or join us live Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on YouTube or Facebook. Just search for Redeemer MN or Redeemer Lutheran Church and locate the blue droplet icon. We're overjoyed at this opportunity to minister to you and to walk beside you as you begin to experience what it means to be the church.
1: Let's dive in. Good morning, Redeemer. How are you guys doing today? Yeah. Hopefully, you guys have been enjoying the good weather. I know I haven't. I've been stuck at work all weekend, so hopefully, I get to enjoy today. Um, you know, today, or I have little over a month left in my internship, and so it's been such a blessing being here and being able to stand up in front of you guys and give you messages. It also means that I'm little over a month uh, from finally graduating from seminary school. Super excited about that. Thank you. And one of my seminary professors, my first year, he once told us that after you graduate from college, you act like you know everything, and then you go to grad school and you realize you know nothing. (laughs) It's that old saying the more you learn, the less you know. It's a paradox, and that's exactly where I'm at. But being a disciple of Jesus is also the same thing it's a paradox. More often than not, it's absurd, it's self-contradictory, unreasonable, and illogical. Because it goes against what the world teaches us, it goes against the culture that we live in today, and it goes against our natural instincts. And that's why being a disciple of Jesus is a paradox. Paradox can be defined as a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or preposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. And the Bible is filled with paradoxes. For example, in Matthew 23, 12, it says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Or how about this one that's found in Mark nine, thirty-five: Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. Like what? Those don't make any sense to me. These are all self-contradictory. They're confusing. And it goes against the logic of this world, and that's the paradox exactly. We are looking at it through the lens of this world, and I'm going to call it the mindset of God versus the human mindset. And there's a story in the Bible that perfectly exhibits this paradox, of this paradox of discipleship. A story where the, the disciples did not get it, and they truly did not understand what was what was happening at the time. And it's found in Matthew 16, 21 through 28. So I'm going to go ahead and read it so we can immerse ourselves in the text. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste stuff before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, if you have heard me preach before, then you know that I love to create context around the passage that we're examining to bridge the gap between our world and our culture today to the world and culture in the first century of where this was written and when it first took place. So when we read this passage, we see that Jesus is predicting his death. He is being handed over to the Jewish leaders to be killed and that he is going to be raised on the third day. And this is actually the first out of three times that he predicts his death to his disciples. And then in verse 22, we see that Peter will not have any of this. He decides that he wants to rebuke Jesus. Now imagine that being a disciple of Jesus and being gutsy enough and having the confidence to tell Jesus is wrong, right? Kind of of crazy. Peter takes Jesus aside and tells him that this will never happen or that he is never going to let it happen. Remember, Peter and the disciples, they have been following Jesus and traveling with Jesus at this point for three years now. They have seen him heal the sick. They have seen him heal the lame, the blind. They have seen him feed thousands of people. They've seen him walk on water and even calm the storms and many other miracles. But yet, Peter rebukes Jesus in this instance. So what is actually happening here? Well, that's where context matters. What's actually happening in the background of this text is the idea of the Messiah, the promised savior. From the beginning of the book in Matthew, the conquest or the concept of the Messiah has been a big theme for Matthew. We see in Matthew 1:1 that Jesus is called the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew lists this long genealogy from Abraham to David to Mary and Joseph to Jesus. This genealogy is to show that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised Savior. He is the promised Savior that was promised through, the line of, through King David's line who will bring salvation to their people. The title Son of David is said nine times in Matthew compared to only three times in Mark and Luke. And so it shows the significance of the, the title and the, the idea of the Messiah in Matthew's book. The title also carries with it a strong political connotation, like the great warrior king, King David was. Remember, King David was the one who killed uh, the giant Goliath. David was the first and greatest king of Israel. He fought many battles and he won through, the help, through God's help. Therefore, when this, therefore, the Messiah, the son of David, would lead God's people over their enemies, The Messiah will bring salvation and restoration to their people. And that's where the division begins, this idea of what the Messiah is supposed to be. And Peter, being the spokesperson for the disciples, when he rebukes Jesus in verse 22, Peter is rebuking Jesus' idea of what the disciple is. Peter and the other disciples believe that Jesus is this warrior king messiah. His destiny is not death by the Jewish leaders, but his destiny is victory over his foreign enemies and nations and a restoration of the kingdom of Judah. Jesus was supposed to be a Messiah who is a warrior king, someone who was sent by God to defeat their enemies, namely the Roman Empire. So for instance, in Jewish literature, in the book Psalms of Solomon, which is an apocryphal book, meaning that it's not in our Bibles, it was written in the first or second century BC, so a couple hundred years before the birth of Jesus. We have this passage showing what the Jews believed to be the Messiah. It says, Behold, O Lord, and raise up for them their king, the son of David, at that time in which you see, O God, that he may reign over Israel, thy servant, and gird him with strength, that he may shatter unrighteous rulers, and that he may purge Jerusalem from nations that trample her down to destruction. He shall destroy the godless nations with the word of his mouth, and at his rebuke, nations shall flee before him, and he shall reprove sinners for the thoughts of their hearts. Now, this passage shows that what the Jews believed to be the Messiah, what they thought the Messiah should be. God was going to give power back to the Jews through the Messiah. God was going to restore the kingdom of Judah, and the Jews Remember, at this point, the Jews have been with the kingdom now for hundreds of years. They have gone through exile, they've been kicked out of their homelands, and now they are still under Roman control. So what they longed for was an independent Jewish nation, a restored kingdom. This was Peter and the disciples' view of what the Messiah should do. They, see, they did not see Jesus dying at the hands of the Jewish leaders. However, this is not how Jesus sees the Messiah. We find what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah in Matthew 11, verses 2 to 6. John the Baptist is currently in prison, and so he he sends his disciples to see if Jesus is really the Messiah. John's disciples ask Jesus, are you the one to come, or should we expect somebody else? Jesus' response shows exactly what it means for him to be the Messiah. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This view is very different from the views that the disciples had. Nowhere does it mention a warrior like King, nowhere does it mention being a political leader, and nowhere does it mention conquering and defeating your enemies. Instead, Jesus affirms that he is the Messiah by healing the blind, healing the lame, and healing the deaf, among many other things. Jesus' Messiahship is a self-sacrificial love where he caters to the needs of others through service and healing. And this is very different from what the disciples knew. Therefore, when we go back to our original text of Matthew, when Peter rebukes Jesus, he has in mind a different view of the Messiah, a warrior-like king. They see him as a political leader and a conqueror, whereas Jesus affirms that he is the Messiah through self-sacrificial love and service and healing. So Peter is rebuking Jesus' idea of what the Messiah means. How can the Messiah restore the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Judah and defeat her enemies if the Messiah is supposed to die? just doesn't make sense to them. And this leads us to verse 23, where Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And there it is the two different views that we've been talking about. The mindset of God, which Jesus has, and the human mindset, which Peter and the other disciples have. And that's what's going on here in verses 21 through 23. The godly mindset of the Messiah versus the human mindset of the Messiah. While Peter and the disciples, they were playing checkers, Jesus was playing chess. Peter had a human mindset, so he was concerned about the worldly things, and he could not see Peter. Uh, He cannot see past the world, whereas Jesus had a godly mindset, and he saw what the world needed the most, not a political leader, not a warrior king, not a conqueror, but a healer, a listener, and someone to care for the marginalized and the lost. The disciples did not get that. Even though they've been following Jesus now for three years, they still did not understand what Jesus was truly there to do. And that is why Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Like, imagine that. Imagine being the disciple that Jesus says that to That's kind of tough, right? Like, if Jesus says that to you, you know you messed up. <laughs> you definitely got to go confess, right? But I want to dive in just a little bit deeper with this. The saying and this phrase is reminiscent of Jesus going into the desert back in Matthew, Matthew 4. There, Jesus says to Satan, away from me, Satan whereas Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. There's a small but a subtle difference. Remember that Peter and the other eleven, they're disciples of Jesus, and to be a disciple is to be a follower and a student of a teacher. Therefore, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he is telling Peter to resume his role as a disciple. It is not Peter's place to rebuke Jesus, it's the other way around. Peter and the other disciples still have much to learn, and Jesus is not done teaching them yet, and they still have this human mindset. So Jesus is telling them, get behind me, learn from me still. Let me teach you. Peter was ruled by human concerns and not godly concerns. He is concerned about human things. So when you have a mindset set on human concerns, you become a stumbling block to God's plans. Let me say that again. When you have a mindset set on human concerns, you become a stumbling block to God's plans. Now, some of you guys know that I work in a restaurant as a server and as a bartender. Well, a couple of months, I was working, I was bartending a private party at work. It was a birthday party of about 40 to 45 people. Well, there was this guy who was about 6'3", 6'4", and he was a little bit bigger. And he came up and ordered a Long Island iced tea. Well, if you know drinks and cocktails, you know that Long Island iced tea is a cocktail that contains the most alcohol, pretty much. And so depending on where you go, it's made a little different, but uh, it, can, it is often made with gin, rum, tequila, triple sec, uh, lemon juice, and a splash of Coke. So all in all, it's a lot of alcohol. Um, but he made this joke. He said, how do you tell your boss that you're an alcoholic? Well, during lunch on a business trip, you order a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> and so we both started laughing and started joking around with each other. And so I knew it was going to be a good night. It was a good crowd, right? And after a while, you get to know the people's names. Um, you get to know what drinks they're ordering and what they prefer. You create a relationship with all your guests. And so I found out that this guy was from Arizona. He flew in to celebrate his cousin's birthday. Well, towards the end of the night, he ended up switching drinks and he ended up ordering four mixed drinks for him and his relatives. I poured the drinks and gave it to him and then he set one aside and asked me, like, "Hey, can you not pour this out?" So I was like, "All right, no biggie, right?" It's probably for someone who wasn't here yet. Well, 10 to 15 minutes passed passed by, the drink was still on the counter, so I went and asked him. I was like, "Hey, who is this drink actually for?" So he went and told me that it was actually for his dad who just recently passed away. And I don't remember the exact time frame. But it was uh, really soon, like his dad just passed away like one or two months ago, so it was still super raw for him. So I went ahead and proceeded, and I asked him, I was like, "Hey, if you don't mind, if you don't mind me asking, what exactly happened?" He told me that his dad passed away from complications from a disease, and he was on life support. Him and his family, they had to make the hard decision of pulling the plug. I saw him start to tear up, and that's when I told him about my grandma, who passed away a few years earlier. My family had to make that same choice as well, the choice of letting a loved one go because if they stayed, their standard of living will be a lot harder and it just wouldn't be suitable for them. And it's something that you never want to go through, and unless you've gone through it, you don't understand the pain and and everything that goes in with making that choice. The choice of letting a loved one go when everything in your heart, your mind, your body and soul want them to stay a little bit longer just to have one more moment with them. It's the toughest decision ever that anybody can go through. So I saw the tears start falling even more now as we continue to talk. I told him him how life is hard and it's very difficult. And I told him that I was actually in school to be a pastor and that in my experience, life doesn't care if you believe in God or not. Life doesn't care if you go to church or not. Life will come and it can be very devastating to you. What makes a difference, however, is the foundation of your life and what your foundation is built on. I told him, for me, my foundation is built on God, family, and friends. And I said to him, I don't know if you believe in God or not, but just make sure your foundation is right, because this storm is not going to get easier. This storm is not going to pass anytime soon. So build a foundation that is strong enough to weather this storm. Whether your foundation is built on family, friends, or God, Whatever it is, just build that foundation that's strong enough. When, it, when I said this, he looked at me, stuck out his fist for a fist bump, and told me that's exactly what he needed to hear. That's what he's been missing in his life the past month or two when his dad passed away. And I tell you the story not to shine light on myself or to, or to toot my own horn, but to show how God sends the Holy Spirit to move in people's lives when you have a mindset set on God, First is a human mindset. Remember, it took me 10 to 15 minutes to realize that there was still a drink there and that the drink was still on the counter. My initial thoughts were, man, how can this guy drink so much? I need to make sure that I'm not going to overserve him. I need to keep a close eye on, close eye on him. Also, it's like, this guy, I get that he's like 6'3", but man, he's drinking a lot, right? <laughs> and so this was my human mindset. But then I remember something. More often than not, people do not drink just to drink to get drunk. More often, they drink to suppress some kind of hurt, pain that, they have been, that they've experienced in life or something that they are going through. And that is when the Holy Spirit moved in me and the Holy Spirit changed my mindset to a godly mindset. I approached this man with a godly mindset and hopefully we had a life-changing conversation for the both of us. I, had, I initially started with a human mindset and was concerned about only human things like Peter was, and I lost sight of what God cares about the most, and that is a heart that is crying out for help. That's when the Holy Spirit moved and changed my mindset. So let me ask you this, what mindset do you currently have? Do you have a mindset set on the concerns of God or on human concerns? do you have a mindset set on the concerns of God or human concerns? Because it becomes very important as we finish this passage, because in the second half of this passage, we find out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what the paradox of discipleship is. In verse 24, Jesus lays it all out for us. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Discipleship is denying oneself and to take up your cross and follow Jesus. For Peter and the disciples, this would have been a very startling statement, the idea to take up one's cross. The cross was a sign of death, humiliation, where criminals and people who weren't loyal to the Roman Empire were hung on crosses in public places to inspire fear and authority of Rome so you can respect the law and order in the Roman Empire. For for context, around 4 BC, there was a Jewish uprising and riot that took place in Judea. The Roman general and politician named Varus was sent in to quiet the riots. Well, he took care of the rioting by crucifying 2,000 Jews. He crucified 2,000 Jews who participated in the riots and the uprising that happened in Judea. It was supposed to be assigned to the Jews and others not to mess with the Roman Empire. Therefore, when Jesus says to Peter and the other disciples, take up one's cross, they would have known about this story of Varus and the 2,000 crucified Jews, because it happened about 30 years right before this story, so they would have known this. So can you imagine the shock, the confusion on the disciples' face when Jesus says this to them, that to be a disciple is to deny oneself and to take up your cross? Like how conflicting of a statement that was for them but it doesn't end there for them. As we continue in this passage, the paradoxes continue to add up. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? These paradoxes show what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What's the point of gaining the whole world when you forfeit your soul? You can gain all the money in the world, have the biggest house, the nicest car, the nicest boat, the most Instagram and TikTok followers, but none of these things will ever and cannot lead to everlasting joy and happiness. Because as Jesus says in this passage, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Nothing. Life is more precious than anything that this world has to offer. No money, no car or no house can ever come up to your your life. It is the most precious thing there is. And that's the idea of having a godly mindset versus a human mindset. In Isaiah 55, eight through nine, it says, "'For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways,' declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts.'" This passage, once again, shows that there's a difference of having a godly mindset versus a human mindset. In a human mindset, we think at a low level, whereas in a godly mindset, we look beyond and above the human mindset. The human human mindset is down here, whereas the godly mindset is up here. For most of us, we are still stuck down here. And that's why when we read the Matthew passage, all these paradoxical sayings don't make any sense to us. And then in Galatians 5.19-26, Paul talks about two ideas, the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The acts of the flesh is what I consider to be a human mindset, It's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, and orgies. These are all things that Paul was dealing with in the Galatia church over 2,000 years ago. Well, to no one's surprise, 2,000 years later, we are still dealing with the same exact problems that Paul was dealing with. Think about a world in our culture today. There's definitely still sexual immorality happening. There's still definitely idolatry with money, earthly possessions, or maybe it's even your job where you're a workaholic and you've forgotten your your family and friends and you're not spending as much time with them. Or maybe it's physical appearance. In today's culture, there's this standard of how you should dress and how you should look. It's this human mindset. Well, what about dissensions? We don't need to look much further than everything that's happened in the last few years between the president, presidential elections and everything with COVID. Look at how polarizing our country has become these last few years. Paul dealt with all these problems 2,000 years ago, and we are still dealing with these problems today. But then Paul continues in his passage with what he calls the fruit of the Spirit, the godly mindset, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love how Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit, because it doesn't come from us. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit. And then after listing these two contrasting and different views, Paul says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And that's what it means to deny ourselves and carry our cross. It means death to the flesh and his passions and desires. When we deny ourselves and carry our cross, we take on the mindset of God. It means death to a human and worldly view. It means death to a worldly passion and desires. It means death to a life without Jesus. And most importantly, it means death to anything and everything that competes with our loyalty to Jesus. So let me end today with this question In your life, what is that cross that you need to take up? What what is it in your life that needs to figuratively die? Is it drunkenness? Is it selfish ambition? Maybe it's dissension. You got into a fight with your family or your friends, and you haven't talked to them in a long time. Maybe it's time for you to take that argument and carry it to the grave and fix the relationship that you have. Or maybe you're like me, and you get a little road rage when people drive a little too slow on the highways, right? And maybe you need to practice patience and self-control. Whatever it is, take up your cross and deny the human mindset. And so it's only fitting today to end with a paradox. We can only change when we accept who we are. So go and figure that paradox out today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for everything that you have done in sending your son, Jesus Christ, just to show us the way and to show us what the godly mindset is. We pray that you will empower us through the Holy Spirit to combat the human mindset that we currently have and to overcome it and to achieve this godly mindset that you have called us to. We pray that you would just continue to help us fight us or continue to help us fight the trials and tribulations that we face and just continue to be a disciple that you have called and that we are willing to disciple others and bring others to Jesus as well. We pray all this in your name, amen.
0: Thank you so much once again for listening to our podcast. If you experienced something special today or connected in a special way with something that you heard, don't keep it a secret. You can reach out and share directly with one of our staff at redeemermn.org leadership, or you can share this episode of the podcast across your own social media. We look forward to the opportunity to connect with you. Until next time, God bless you and have a wonderful day.